Welcome to the Inspirational Living Podcast, brought to you in part by Book of Zen, makers of inspirational fashion and gift ideas. Visit them online at bookofzen.com. Today's podcast has been edited and adapted from the essay Optimism by Helen Keller, who despite being both deaf and blind, lived a life of unbridled optimism and accomplishment. Could we choose our environment, and were desire and human undertakings synonymous with endowment? All people would, I suppose, be optimists. Certainly most of us regard happiness as the proper end of all earthly enterprise. The will to be happy animates every individual, no matter their profession, education, or social station. No matter how dull, or how mean, or how wise we are, we feel that happiness is our indisputable right. It is curious to observe what different ideals of happiness people cherish, and in what singular places they look for this wellspring of their life. Many look for it in the hoarding of riches, some in the pride of power, and others in the achievements of art or literature. A few seek it in the exploration of their own minds, or in the search for knowledge. Most people measure their happiness in terms of physical pleasure and material possession. Could they win some visible goal which they have set on the horizon, how happy they would be. Lacking this gift or that circumstance, they would be miserable. If happiness is to be so measured, I, who cannot hear or see, have every reason to sit in a corner with folded hands and weep. If I am happy in spite of my deprivations, if my happiness is so deep that it is a faith, so thoughtful that it becomes a philosophy of life, if, in short, I am an optimist, my testimony to the creed of optimism is worth hearing. Indeed, I feel called to rise up in gladness of conviction and testify to the goodness of life. Once I knew the depth where no hope was, and darkness lay on the face of all things. Then love came and set my soul free. Once I knew only darkness and stillness, now I know hope and joy. Once I fretted and beat myself against the wall that shut me in. Now I rejoice in the consciousness that I can think, act, and attain heaven here on earth. My life was without past or future. Death, the pessimist would say, was a consummation devoutly to be wished. But a little word from the fingers of another fell into my hand that clutched at emptiness, and my heart leapt to the rapture of living. Night fled before the day of thought, and love and joy and hope came up in a passion of obedience to knowledge. Can anyone who has escaped such captivity, who has felt the thrill and glory of freedom, be a pessimist? My early experience was thus a leap from bad to good. Even if I tried, I could not check the momentum of my first leap out of the dark. With the first word I used intelligently, I learned to live, to think, to hope. Darkness cannot shut me in again. 
I have had a glimpse of the shore and can now live by the hope of reaching it. So my optimism is no mild and unreasoning satisfaction. A poet once said that I must be happy because I do not see the bare, cold, present, but live in a beautiful dream. I do live in a beautiful dream, but that dream is the actual, the present. Not cold, but warm. Not bare, but furnished with a thousand blessings. The very evil which the poet supposed would be a cruel disillusionment is necessary to the fullest knowledge of joy. Only by contact with evil could I have learned to feel by contrast the beauty of truth and love and goodness. It is a mistake always to contemplate the good and ignore the evil, because by making people neglectful it lets in disaster. There is a dangerous optimism of ignorance and indifference. It is not enough to say that the 21st century is the best age in the history of mankind and to take refuge from the evils of the world in ethereal dreams of good. How many good men and women in the 19th century, prosperous and contented, looked around and saw naught but good, while millions of their fellow men and women were bartered and sold like cattle? No doubt there were comfortable optimists who thought Wilberforce a meddlesome fanatic when he was working with might and main to free the slaves. I distrust the rash optimism in this country that cries, Hooray, we're number one. This is the greatest nation on earth. When there are grievances that call loudly for a remedy. That is a false optimism. Optimism that does not count the cost is like a house built on sand. We must understand evil and be acquainted with sorrow before we can call ourselves an optimist and expect others to believe that we have reason for the faith that is in us. I know what evil is. Once or twice I have wrestled with it, and for a time felt its chilling touch on my life. So I speak with knowledge when I say that evil is of no consequence, except as a sort of mental gymnastics. For the very reason that I have come in contact with it, I am more truly an optimist. I can say with conviction that the struggle which evil necessitates is one of the greatest blessings. It makes us strong, patient, helpful men and women. It lets us into the soul of things and teaches us that although the world is full of suffering, it also is full of the overcoming of it. My optimism, then, does not rest on the absence of evil, but on a glad belief in the preponderance of good, and a willing effort always to cooperate with the good, that it may prevail. I try to increase the power that God has given me to see the best in everything and everyone, and make that best a part of my life. The world is sown with good, but unless I turn my glad thoughts into practical living and till my own field, I cannot reap a kernel of good. Thus my optimism is grounded in two worlds, myself and what is about me. I demand that the world be good, and lo, it obeys. I proclaim the world good, and facts arrange themselves to prove my proclamation overwhelmingly true. To what is good I open the doors of my being, and jealously shut them away from what is bad. 
Such is the force of this beautiful and willful conviction. It carries itself in the face of all opposition. I am never discouraged by absence of good. I never can be argued into hopelessness. Doubt and mistrust are the mere panic of a timid imagination, which the steadfast heart will conquer and the large mind transcend. Every day I find myself looking forward with beating heart and bright anticipation to what the future holds of activity for me. My share in the work of the world may be limited, but the fact that it is work makes it precious. The desire and will to work is optimism itself, for work, production, brings life out of chaos, makes the individual a world, an order, and order is optimism. Despite my handicaps, I can work, and because I love to labor with my head and my hands, I am an optimist in spite of it all. I used to think that I would be thwarted in my desire to do something useful, but I have found that though the ways in which I can make myself useful are few, the work open to me is endless. Charles Darwin could work only half an hour at a time, yet in many diligent half hours he laid the foundations of a new science. I long to accomplish a great and noble task, but it is my chief duty and joy to accomplish humble tasks as though they were great and noble. It is my service to think how I can best fulfill the demands that each day makes upon me and to rejoice that others can do what I cannot. The world is moved along not only by the mighty shoves of its heroes, but also by the aggregate of the tiny pushes of each honest worker. And that thought alone suffices to guide me in this dark and wide world. I love the good that others do, for their activity is an assurance that whether I can help or not, the true and the good will stand sure. I trust, and nothing that happens disturbs my trust. I recognize the beneficence of the power which we all worship as supreme. Order, fate, the great spirit, nature, God. I recognize this power in the sun that makes all things grow and keeps life afoot. I make a friend of this indefinable force, and straightway I feel glad, brave, and ready for any lot the universe may decree for me. This is my religion of optimism. Optimism, then, is a fact within my own heart. But as I look out upon life, my heart meets no contradiction. The outward world justifies my inward universe of good. All through the years I spent in college, my reading was a continuous discovery of good. In literature, philosophy, and history, I find the mighty witnesses to my faith. Philosophy is the history of a deaf-blind person writ large. From the talks of Socrates up through Plato, Berkeley, and Kant, philosophy records the efforts of human intelligence to be free of the clogging material world and fly forth into a universe of pure idea. A deaf-blind person ought to find special meaning in Plato's ideal world. These things which you see and hear and touch are not the reality of realities, but imperfect manifestations of the idea 
the principle, the spiritual. The idea is the truth. The rest is delusion. If this be so, my fellows who enjoy the fullest use of their senses are not aware of any reality which may not equally be in reach of my mind. Philosophy gives to the mind the prerogative of seeing truth and bears us into a realm where I, who am blind, am not different from you who see. When I learn from Berkeley that your eyes receive an inverted image of things which your brain unconsciously corrects, I began to suspect that the eye is not a very reliable instrument after all, and I felt as one who had been restored to equality with others, glad, not because the senses avail them so little, but because in God's eternal world, mind and spirit avail so much. It seemed to me that philosophy had been written for my special consolation, whereby I get even with some modern teachers who apparently think that I was intended as an experimental case for their special instruction. My small voice of individual experience joins in the declaration of the philosophy that the good is the only world, and that world is a world of spirit. It is also a universe where order is all, where an unbroken logic holds the parts together, where disorder defines itself as non-existence, where evil, as St. Augustine held, is delusion, and therefore is not. Thus from philosophy I have learned that we see only shadows, and know only in part, and that all things change. But the mind, the unconquerable mind, encompasses all truth, embraces the universe as it is, converts the shadows to realities, and makes tumultuous changes seem but moments in an eternal silence, or short lines in the infinite theme of perfection, and that evil is but a pause on the way to good. Though with my hand I grasp only a small part of the universe, with my spirit I see the whole, and in my thought I can encompass the beneficent laws by which it is governed. The confidence and trust which these conceptions inspire teach me to rest safe in my life as in a fate, and protect me from spectral doubts and fears. Blessed are we that have not seen, and yet have believed. The Inspirational Living Podcast is a production of The Living Hour. For free transcripts of our podcast, please go to livinghour.org. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider becoming a patron. You can become a patron for as little as a dollar a month, which will ensure that we can continue our podcast for years to come. To become a patron, please visit patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com. Simply do a quick search for the Inspirational Living Podcast at patreon.com to find our Patreon page and learn more, including the free gifts we offer to every patron. Subscribe to our free podcast today at the iTunes Store, or at Google Play, or at stitcher.com. Thank you for listening. We look forward to being with you next time.